So we've been in a series, Good Ways to Share the Good News. And as I said, when we're talking about the five C's, it, it is a critical component in every Christian's life, every Christ follower's life, and every church's life to never lose sight of this particular thing that God has called and equipped us to do. You know, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, the first thing that he told his disciples was, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and I'm with you to the end of the age. So we are, we are an outreach-oriented people. This is the call of God in our life. But we've been talking about in this series good ways to share the good news because the truth is there's, there's lots of ways to share the good news, the truth about God and the truth about life as it's revealed in Jesus and particularly in the New Testament that are just plain easy. In, in the first message, we, we gave the message, just invite. L- listen, about 85% of the people that are brought to Christ, brought into the church, that it becomes stable, uh, devoted, fully devoted followers of Jesus, about 85% of them every year, somebody just invited them. Curious, how many of you in here because somebody invited you? you your first time at church? Yeah, they're looking around the room. It's very powerful and it's easy, it's easy. The second message we said, sometimes God allows us to be a part of divine appointments. There are people that, that they have spiritual questions and God puts them across our path and we either have the spiritual answer that they're looking for or we can get the spiritual answer because we know how to Google <laughs> or we could call me or somebody else. But when we supply the answers to questions that people have, it usually starts a dialogue and that dialogue can often in them coming to put their trust in Christ and becoming his follower. Last week, we looked at the fact that when it comes to that point in a person's life where they're ready, they really want to reconnect with their God. They, they just want to know, what must I do to be saved? Okay, to use biblical language, we know that it's just put your trust in Christ and become his follower, plus nothing. Please, I beg of you, do not add to that. I have been for over 35 years been trying to get people to understand the gospel is simple, powerful, pure. When a person comes to put their trust in Christ and become his follower, the dynamic transformation power of the Holy Spirit now will be at work in them and it will carry them through this life and all all into eternity. So we look at just keep it simple. Today we're going to take a little bit of a different step. I mean, because let's face it, when somebody comes to us and they actually ask us, what must I do to be saved? That's a pretty good setup, right? You know, you can pretty much say anything um, that you want as long as you're saying trust in Jesus and become his follower. Don't, don't say anything additional to that. But sometimes there are opportunities that frankly, there, there are opportunities that God gives us, but they're not quite as comfortable. And yet they can be if we look at them from the right angle. And that's what I'm hoping to do today. So how many of you have ever been in a situation where for whatever reason, uh, a spiritual conversation starts? It might be at work. It might be in your neighborhood. It might be at your kid's sporting event. But a spiritual conversation starts and people are starting to share all kinds of views, maybe their personal views, maybe something they heard. But you're listening there as a Christ follower, somebody that's got you know some understanding of scripture in, in your mind, and you're hearing them say all kinds of things that you know do not line up with the truth about God as he's revealed himself in his word. And so you're, you're listening to this and you're in that strange place where it's like, okay, should I just sit here and be respectful because we are being taught today that everybody's point of view is valid. Um, one point of view is just as valid as another point of view. But this isn't always true, is it? Suppose my point of view was is that I could step off this stage and do a tumble and gravity would hold me up instead of bring me down. 
Would my sincerity, would my view be incorrect? Of course. So, so sometimes there, there is right and wrong. And so maybe you're sitting there, but that, that little bit of pause because society is telling us, you know, don't ever say that there is a right, a wrong, one view, particularly about spiritual matters. So you, maybe you just sat there quietly and you listened. Maybe you were sitting there and you thought, well, I really want to tell them something. I, I know they're confused, they're spiritually searching, but they don't know what they're talking about. They're, they're kind of making up things as they go. And you feel like, man, I want to say something, but I don't quite know enough. I'm afraid I'll get started, and then I won't know how to respond appropriately if they would ask me a question or something. So you still, you sit there quietly, you say nothing. Then there are some of you that... You sit there, and the more they say, the more they share their diverse spiritual points of view that you know contradict the truth that has been revealed to humanity in God's word, the Bible, this, this precious book. You, you have something that just starts stirring in you, and a fire starts burning, and you cannot contain yourself. And even though you know it might be offensive, it may not be acceptable, it may ruffle feathers, you have just got to say something you you have to speak up because you have come to believe that there is such a thing as reality and reality is a stubborn thing it always trumps sincerity and you believe that part of the reality is that God the singular creator of the universe has revealed himself comprehensively in Christ and in his word that we contain today in the Bible and something just boils over in you and you just tell them you start talking to them forthrightly say you know your, your views are interesting and so forth. You try to, you try to make it con- kind, but you finally say, but here's what the Bible says, and God's word has compelling evidence that it's correct, and it's the one and only way. And then you maybe ratchet up your nerve, and you said Jesus himself said he is the singular way, the truth, the life, and no one ever finds God. No one comes to the Father. No one can even see the Father except through him. You, you, you're telling these folks, you're, you're telling them they're all wrong, that their views, their sincere views, their, their cherished views perhaps, maybe the views for decades, you are telling them their views are wrong and that there's only one right view and, and you have it. You sound pretty arrogant, don't you? You sound pretty narrow. But you would be right if you were presenting to them the truth of God's word. But those are tricky situations to navigate we're going to look at that kind of a situation today now here's the thing I want to tell you when you and I are in those situations where there's diverse points of views being shared God wants us to have a boldness and a gentleness a boldness and a humility to speak the truth in love in those situations and if we do if we do there are some people that will be reached, will be shocked. If we just give them, listen, listen, this is the message. If we just give them some solid reasons to believe, they don't have to be many. We don't have to answer every question. We don't have to know every religious position that they have studied or anything like that. We just need to give them some solid positions. And you'll be amazed. Not all, but, but some will be reached. We're going to look at a portion of Scripture today where this is what happens. We're still in the book of Acts and this is a rather long narrative. I'll, I'll try not to make it too, too boring. But this is the Apostle Paul. And he is in Athens, the, the center of intellectual, uh, you know, not, people just went there to debate and to talk about philosophical things and spiritual things. And he's right in the heart of this. So I'll start out in verse 17 of Acts 17. It says, so he, meaning Paul, he reasoned. He was giving people reasons, you know, solid reasons 
to trust in Jesus, to believe the truth about God in life. So he reasoned, first of all, where? Where? In the synagogue. The Jewish people were already looking for the Messiah. He would go into the synagogue, take the Old Testament scriptures, and prove to them that Jesus was the prophesied or predicted Messiah. So he first went there where people were open. He went to the synagogue with both the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. There were Gentiles that would go to the synagogues too because they believed in the, the God of Judaism as well as in where? The marketplace. Now, the marketplace, you and I think of like Wegmans or something, you know. It, it was not like that. Even though Pete hangs out at Wegmans evidently, but, but it's not, it was not like that in Paul's day. So no, the marketplace was kind of, yeah, there were people buying and selling, but there were also people that were just sitting around in groups and they were talking and debating and sharing philosophical views or spiritual views. It was kind of an open forum situation. So he's talking in the synagogue, he's reasoning in the synagogues as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. Let's go on. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers begin to debate with him. Now, the Epicureans, they were the wild ones. They just believed that the only purpose in life was pleasure. They were the guys and gals that would eat until they were full, get sick, empty it out, and then go back and eat some more because they just believed that life was about pleasure, as much pleasure as you could stand, even more pleasure than you could stand. The Stoics were just the opposite. They were like discipline, self-denial, you know. So these were two philosophical viewpoints that were held very strongly in the Greek culture. So a group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers begin to debate with him, meaning Paul. Some of them ask, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remark, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news. There it is, good ways to share the good news. The good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now when we read that, our tendency in our minds is to say, okay, so that, that was it. That's all he said. I want to tell you about Jesus. And Jesus rose, and we think that that's all Paul said. No, no. You have to read in between this. Paul, the guy that the Spirit of God used to write 13 books of the New Testament, he is pouring out everything we read in those 13 books of the New Testament. He's saying, do you recognize that the God who created all things, he has visited this planet again and again, and he's visited just recently in the person of Jesus, the creator himself, and he lived a life like nobody ever lived, and he said things that nobody ever said, and he taught what no one had ever heard. He made many people that were sick well. He opened blind eyes. He healed, healed, uh, healed the sick. He raised the dead he walked on water and and when the people crucified him he didn't even get off the cross and destroy them because of his passionate love for them he forgave them and then he rose from the grave to show that every promise that he made about forgiveness and eternal life he was capable of keeping so you got to read in between this man he's he's letting them have it he's telling them tons and tons and tons about jesus because these people unlike ourselves they weren't in a hurry in that day they didn't have any tv you know so they just kind of talked a lot so Paul is really telling them a lot about the kingdom of God and about Jesus. So they, they don't have just a few pieces of information. That's what I wanted to get you to understand. Let me go on. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very, what? Religious. Now we would use the term today very spiritual. In fact, we, we have people today that, that are very proud to call themselves spiritual but they'll always make a point a lot of times celebrities do this I, i'm not i'm not i don't go to church i mean i'm not one of those those bible people those bible thumpers but i'm very spiritual very spiritual person 
and people tend to be proud of that today and, and they, they want to think that whatever their particular spiritual view is that it's just as good as another it's just kind of this religious smorgasbord you just kind of pick and choose they don't believe that there's reality and reality is stubborn it always trumps sincerity but if God is real and there's only one God then all of our views don't really matter because reality is stubborn so Paul stands up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said people of Athens I see that you're in every way very religious let's go on for as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship I, I don't advocate you using that term with your spiritual friends when you're talking with them people don't tend to do too well with being called ignorant today so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship and this is what I am going to proclaim to you Paul was not being arrogant this is a man who was an enemy of Jesus this is a man who tried to stamp out the movement of Jesus when it started this is a man who held the coats of the people that stoned Stephen the first Christian martyr and this is a man who was encountered by the risen Christ from heaven and blinded by it and forever transformed this is a guy who knew what he was talking about he had face to face with Jesus he knew who God was in Jesus so he's bold to just tell them what he knew by his own experience the God who made the world, now he's starting to give them his talk. The God who made the world, so he, he says, I'm going to talk to you not about your gods and goddesses and, and all your ideologies. He says, I'm going to talk to you about the real, the singular, the one and only creator. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He's saying, he is in control. The next breath you have, the next beat of your heart, the next brainwave, he's saying. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. Athens and all around Greece, full of temples to the gods and goddesses and so forth. And he is not served, this is really important, he is not served by human hands as if he, what? Needed anything. The, the gods and goddesses, the false religions, the false paths of spirituality, they have a commonality. Now, I'm, I'm going to hold back because I have a, a definition I'm going to share with you about this. But, but they are needy. And, and, and the spiritual currency that entities, dark angelic entities that reside behind the various world religions and bes behind the various types of spirituality, false spirituality, those entities, the currency that they thrive on is attention. They love the attention of people. And you say, well, why would they care about the attention of people? How many have ever seen this scene? There's a concert somewhere. And so the singer has just sang a great song, you know, in the stadium, 85,000 people are all cheering, just going crazy. And, and the, the, the singer says something like, oh, I'm just so touched. I'm so touched by the love. Oh, you're, you're just giving me the love. I feel the love. Now, those ticket-paying people that are applauding, do they love that singer? Do they? Uh, they don't even know that singer. They don't know that singer personally. That, that singer might be a most odious person if they knew that person personally. They love what this singer does, but here's what I'm trying to get across to you. That singer, what that singer is calling love, it's not love, it's attention. It's currency. It's the feeling of power. It's the feeling of popularity. There are dark spiritual entities that thrive, that thrive on this. It's as close as they can come to authentic worship, but it's not authentic worship at all. You'll see in a minute, I'm going to give you some definitions of what authentic worship is. Okay, let me go on. So, no, no, oh, I'm sorry, no, no, no. I'm sorry, Sarah, my, my mistake. 
and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. The real God gives to all. He doesn't need anything from anyone. He gives. He doesn't need false spirituality, false gods and goddesses. They, they always need. They need rituals. They, they want us to do rituals. They want us to, you know, get into altered states of consciousness. They, they want us to maybe afflict ourselves physically or do various things. They always want attention. Rather, he himself gives, notice, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. The real God, he doesn't need anything. He just gives to everybody. He goes on. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries, national boundaries, of their lands. And I, I could say so much better. So what it's kind of saying is he chose you to be born in this age not back in medieval times and to be born in the United States and not in India I don't know the answers to all that but it's, but it's a powerful fascinating thing but he's going to tell you what the purpose was God did this so that they would seek what notice what it doesn't say God put people in various nations and various times in human history so that they would seek to go to heaven it's not what it says God put people in different nations at different times in human history so that they would seek to avoid the elevator going down. It's not what it says, but you would think that that's what it says if you were to listen to some churches and to some Christians. The appeal that sometimes is made to people is that they need to see to it that their ticket to heaven, essentially, is secured. That by all, above all things, that's what you need to make sure of. Just make sure your ticket is punched, you're going to go to heaven. Make sure your elevator is not headed south, Okay? But that's not what the Bible says. No, no, no the Bible is very clear. What, what does it say? God did this. He put people at different times in, in human history, in different nations in human history, so that they would seek what? Him. Him. We don't want anybody to just want us for what we give them or, or, or for the money we shower them with. We want people to like us for ourselves. God is a sensitive, humble almighty relational being and he actually waits for people that want him he doesn't intrude in our life he immerses us with good things he he protects us he provides for us he forgives us constantly but he waits until we actually want him not heaven heaven comes with him but 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 you gotta want him okay and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us for in him we this is no one blows my mind i want to go on and on about it but i won't for in him in him we live and move and have our being do you get the picture we could be like a tiny atomic particle in god the whole universe could exist in god a multi-universes could exist in god I'll, I'll stop i'll just stop for in him we live and move and have our being as some of your own poets have said we are his offspring. He goes on. Therefore, since we're God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image made by human design and skill, nor images in our imagination of God. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to, what is the word? Now, don't think religious stuff when you hear that word repent. What the word means, the Greek word is metanoia. It simply means but now God is commanding people to change the way they think about God. Why? Why would he command people now at that point in Paul's history? Because 
God had now been following progressive revelation of himself in the Old Testament. That revelation of himself had now culminated in Jesus. When Jesus was on that cross, everything that can be fathomed, everything that can be understood, everything that we ever need to know, everything that every angel ever needs to know about God was completely revealed when the almighty creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, allowed himself to be beaten, mocked, spit on, and crucified and died to express the depth of his sacrificial, unselfish love for human beings and all those that he creates Paul was saying it's a new day there's no excuse anymore for people being ignorant you meet people and they say they're agnostic well don't feel like that's a legitimate position that's not a legitimate position anymore because God has given to us a complete revelation of himself we have it in the Bible if somebody is an agnostic it is because they choose to be ignorant and that's what Paul is saying Paul's saying God's revealed the truth about himself now and the truth about life and so because that he's telling everybody you need to change the way you think about God that's what repentance means metanoia 180 degree change in thought process let's go on why for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice he's a just God he's a good God he's going to hold us accountable and that's good news it means that everything that we do has meaning it has value it's going to be rewarded or not it means that those that think they're getting away with things there won't it means that, that he's ultimately going to end evil. Evil's got a short shelf life, and he's going to bring in a new day where evil will not exist anymore. He's going to judge. He's going to clean it up. By the man he has appointed, he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. He's saying, if you don't think God's going to judge, here's the proof. The one that's going to do the judging, he raised from the dead. And, of course, he's talking about Jesus. He goes on. He says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. When you share your spiritual views from God's word with your spiritual interested friends, some of them are going to mock you. Some of them are going to turn on you. you you're, you're not going to feel good about their response. Some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear again. Some of your spiritually conversational friends might say, you know, I don't know if I buy all this now, but I, I'd, I'd like to talk with you more about this. Look at what else happened. So he says, we want it. No, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Boy, this is really scary. <laughs> Let's get back to that verse. No, no, no. I got to go back, Sarah. I'm sorry. Uh, back one more. Okay, let's just calm down right there for a minute. Um, he said today he's going to judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this by raising him from the dead. Now, just go one slide. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. So some sneered. Some said, we want to talk again. Others said, hey, man, I'm in. I trust you, Paul. I trust the God that you serve. I'm, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and what does it say? A number of others. So in this this conversation that was truly one that was, you know, controversial, he reached some people. Now, he didn't get the reaction from everybody that he wanted. Now, notice that he wrote names down. God cares about individuals. He's not about the collective. God is about you. He is about you. He is about every person in here, your individual life. You personally are precious. He has the capacity to have a personal, intimate relationship with all of us. He deals with humanity individually, individually. 
not in a collective. And so it's important for us to hear because we're hearing a lot these days about the non-importance of the individual and the importance of the collective. That is, that is not the heart of God. So here we have the end of this. Now, now I'm going to get on into this message. Let's go next. All, all false spirituality is appeasement-based with an insufficient, unworthy, unhealthy object of worship and objective of worship. Just leave that for a minute. Apart from the truth that God has revealed about himself that is contained in the Bible, God himself says every other spiritual idea, every other religion is wrong. There's only one true God, and he's revealed himself comprehensively. What I'm telling you so that you can mark this down, they have, they have a chink in their armor. They all have the same chink in their armor. Every false spiritual viewpoint, and it's this. They're appeasement-based. What do you mean appeasement-based, Randy? It's pay-to-play spirituality. It's you give to get spirituality. It's that you try to figure out the formula. You probably try to figure out what the deity, what the spiritual beings want, and you do what's required so that you get what you want out of it. It's business. It's mercenary. It's appeasement religion. I want to get the deity off my back, and I want to get the deity on my side. I want to use the deity's power but I'm using it because of stuff that I want out of life. Every single religion has that component in it. It is, it is appeasement-based, and it has an insufficient, insufficient. The deity is not the true almighty creator, unworthy. The deity does not have the unselfish holiness, the sacrificial holiness that is displayed on the cross with Jesus. And it's an unhealthy object of worship because it's about getting us or giving us stuff, giving us what we want rather than helping us become who we were always intended to come, become. And it has an unhealthy objective for worship because the objective is I, I just want to use the, the deity's power. I want to get the God on my side. Now, let's go on. Let's look at some coherent reasons for considering the good news, okay? Why anybody should consider the good news. Let's go first. It gives us the message of Christ, the message about God in, in Christ, in the New Testament, in the Bible, a sufficient, worthy, healthy object of worship. We have an almighty God. Remember we read in the book of Acts, it said that he needs nothing. He gives to everyone. These other deities, they need. They need particularly usually attention. They want rituals and incantations and blood sacrifices. And I mean, we know about the Mayans. The Mayans sacrifice thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people to their deity because their deities want attention, and they really love it when somebody will sacrifice for them. But God is sufficient, and he's worthy. He's unselfishly good, and he's healthy. He doesn't need anything from us. There are some Christians that think that God needs people, you know, uh, fearing him and quaking before him and doing obeisance to him. No, no, no. The God of the Bible knows we need him, and so he wants to get our attention, but it's because he can't help us to become who he wants us to become until we trust him and have his, uh, he has our full attention. It also gives a sufficient, worthy, healthy objective to worship. True worship, true worship, it simply is saying this. It's saying, God, I just want to know you more. I, I, I want to I, I understand you more. I want to know your ways. I want to know your will. True worship is, God, I, I want to be close to you. I, I want to be in union with you. I, I want to partner with you. I want to serve with you. God, 
I want so much to live with you forever in a realm where evil doesn't exist, where there's no more sin, sorrow, pain, or death. That, that's, that's the kind of objective, and, and it changes us. It it's causes us to aspire to be like him. Let me go on with this. Here's where I wanted to lead you earlier. What is true worship? Here's the components of authentic true worship. It's, first of all, attraction, that when somebody hears the truth about God in Christ, they're drawn toward it, they're not repulsed by it. They, they want to move toward God. They don't want to move away from God. I can remember a season in my life where I wanted to move away from God. Every time I heard anything about God, I wanted to avoid it. But there came a time where I wanted to move toward it. So authentic worship starts with attraction. I'm attracted to God. And then that goes into admiration. I like the way he thinks. I like the way he feels. I, I like his plans, his purposes. It leads to appreciation. I, I love the fact that he keeps me alive, that he gave me life, that he made me in his image, that he gave me the capacity to experience life like he himself does, that he forgives me, that he tolerates me, that he helps keeping me growing up. I, I appreciate his promises of everlasting life in his kingdom. I appreciate that he, he promises the end of evil someday. And then it leads to affection. I honestly start having feelings for God. And these feelings move me even deeper toward him. And they finally get to the place of adoration where I'm, I'm just kind of almost head over heels in love. I'm seeing more and more. I see how beautiful he is. I see how pure he is and how unselfish he is. And, and everything in me just kind of turns upside down in adoration. It's all spontaneous. It's all authentic. And that leads to aspiration. It's now, I want to be like you. I don't really care about my, I just, I see so much beauty in you, so much goodness in you. I see so much crud in me the more I see of you the more the more ugliness I see in me and I just want so much I want to live the way you live God and I want to be able to love the way you love this is what true worship consists of now don't get me wrong it is a beautiful and awesome thing what we just did in here earlier matter of fact I, I think I'm developing an allergy to Pete and the worship team uh, every time they get up and do what they do I have this water that comes out of my eyes and my nose and so I think I'm allergic to what they, what they are doing. It's a beautiful thing when God's people get together and we worship in song and we express our devotion to him and our affection for him. That's beautiful. It's powerful. It, it, it cheers us all. It fires us up. It inspires us. But it's just one expression of worship, real worship. You've got to ask yourself. We always have to ask yourself, am I spontaneously and authentically from my heart I'm just attracted to God I just like him I admire him I'm just appreciative I thank him I, I love him and, and, and frankly I just plain adore him everything I see I'm blown away by and I desperately want to be like him please folks mark it down those are the components of true worship and that's why the message of Christ the good news it, it brings healthy it's a healthy objective in worship that we have let me go on 2 Corinthians, we're going to show a passage that shows people on each side of this equation. 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul, he says, if there's anything hidden about our message, it's hidden, hidden to someone who is lost. It goes on. The God, notice it's a small g, it's talking about Satan, a dark angel. The God who rules this world, notice he rules the world. He's the one that sets the value system in the world. Has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. That means that he has caused us to become so addictive addicted to things 
that are not going to draw us toward God, not good for us, that we just don't see any value in the message of Christ. You know people like that. We all do. They cannot see the light, which is the good news about the glorious Christ, who does what? What does he do? What does he do? He shows what? What does it say? We see what God is really like in Christ, particularly him on the cross. He goes on. He says, we're not preaching about ourselves. Our message is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He also sent us to be your servants. He goes on. The scriptures say, God commanded light to shine in the dark. Now God is shining in our hearts to let you know that his glory, which means the beauty of his person, the beauty of his character, is seen where? In Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, we have the fullness of God in physical form. So this message, it's not going to be attractive to everyone, Paul says. Some people's minds have been so blinded by the value system and the things of this age that they, they just shrug their shoulders when you talk to them about Jesus. Paul talked to that group of people. Some sneered at him. Some said, hey, man, let's talk again about this sometime. But then some, some turned to Christ that day. So we have to decide, was that, was that a risky conversation or was it worthwhile? Let's go on. In the book of Ephesians, it says our goal, meaning those that are Christ followers, is to become, this is why it's so healthy to worship Christ, is to become like a full-grown man or woman, a mature person, to look just like Christ and have all of his perfection. That, that's the basis of our worship. It's not to go to heaven. Going, going to heaven is where we're going to go if we put our trust in Christ, but it's, it's to become like him. All right, let's go on compelling reasons for embracing the good news okay we've looked at coherent reasons for believing the good news now compelling reasons for embracing the good news let's look at number one it's relationally beautiful this message about God in Christ it's it's relationally beautiful it, it shows a God who is almighty but who refuses to overwhelm us and push himself upon us he waits back until we want to seek him he, he immerses us in, in good things, you know, the world we live in, gives us everything we need, but then he waits. He waits quietly. He reveals himself and says, do you like me? Do you want me? Do you trust me? I love you, but you're going to have to make the choice how you feel about me. Listen to what it says in John 4, 23. Jesus talking, he says, the time is coming and now is here when true worshipers, we saw those components of worship, and I'll show them to you again, that worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's spontaneous. It's authentic. It's from the heart. For the Father, what does he do? He seeks such people. Do you know what that's saying? It's saying that God seeks people that like him for himself. It's all it's saying. Not people that just want to go to heaven, as much as that's wonderful, but people that that like God for himself. Isn't that what we seek? Don't, don't, don't we want people that like us for ourselves? We, we don't want people to just like us for our money or for the influence we can give them or for the help we give them. We, we actually want people to just like us for ourselves. God is a relational being. This message we have about the true God, it, it's relationally beautiful. He's a sensitive relational being. Secondly, let's look at the components of true worship again attraction God wants people that are honestly attracted to him that admire him that appreciate him that develop affection and adoration for him and that aspire to be like him that's the kind of worshipers he seeks let's go on second 
This message we have, it's historically credible. It's rooted in history. The God that created the universe, he has intervened in human history since Old Testament times, periodically. He intervenes in ways that are compelling. The evidence for his intervention is compelling. Every time they dig, turn over dirt in the Middle East, and archaeologists find evidence that the Bible is true, that God intervened in historically credible ways. But it's never overwhelming. He, he intervenes to give us enough evidence that he's there and that he cares, but he doesn't freeze our will. How many, how many of you, when you see a radar trap set up, you slow down? Can I see your hands? <laughs> see, that freezes your will. <laughs> God could show up in power and everybody bow their knees, but it wouldn't be because we like him. It wouldn't be because we love him or love his ways even historically credible let me read a verse to you from acts 1 3 it says for 40 days after jesus had suffered and died he proved in many ways that he had been raised from the death from death he appeared to his apostles and spoke to them about god's kingdom i'm just curious i asked these in the first service how many of you did not know that after jesus rose from the grave he stayed alive on the planet appearing to people for 40 not for a few days but for 40 days how many of you did not know that thank you you're very humble and honest the rest of you there's a bunch of you who didn't know that but you weren't going to put your hand up i know i understand <laughs> but for 40 days he kept appearing it was not just once uh, the, the evidences for the historical resurrection of Christ are powerful. You've heard me share this stuff before. I used to do it at Easter. You know, the fact that the, the massive stone was rolled away from the tomb, the fact that the Roman seal was taken off the tomb, the fact that the Roman guard ran for their, their lives. They would never run. The, the fact that the apostles who had uh, departed from Jesus when he was arrested in fear suddenly when they saw him alive from the dead served him until the last breath of their life most of them being martyrs the fact that that james the half-brother of jesus who did not believe on jesus when he was alive when he saw him raised from the dead james becomes a leader in the church of jerusalem the fact that thomas who was not there the first week that jesus appeared to his disciples and who said to the rest of the disciples i don't buy this stuff you guys are saying about him risen unless i touch his wounds with my finger i'm not buying it and then jesus appeared to him and Thomas hits his knees and says my Lord and my God how about Paul the man we're reading about I told you he was an enemy he tried to stamp out the Christian movement until he was confronted by the resurrected Jesus what about the Roman Empire this message in, in an empire that was full of religion full of spirituality this message in less than 300 years toppled all the other forms of spirituality and it became the holy Roman Empire Constantine bowed his knee to Jesus this message is compelling. The evidence is compelling. It's not overwhelming, but it's compelling. It's the kind of evidence that allows you free will, but gives you enough to go on. It's historically credible. And finally, this message. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you, Sarah. You saved me. A couple of quotes about the historical importance of Christianity. Great historian H.G. Wells, he said, I'm a historian, I'm not a believer. That's important. He wasn't a Christian. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. Another, Gary Habermas, he is a Christian. He details a total of 39 ancient sources documenting the life of Christ. Some of these were Christian historians, but many of them were not. In other words, there were lots of other historians that were not Christians that documented the life of Christ. He was a real person, uh, documented the things that go with that as far as his miracles and so forth. One final one, another historian, Paul Johnson, he said, Christianity is essentially a historical religion. It bases its claims on the historical facts it asserts. If these are demolished, 
it is nothing all they had to do was find the body of jesus in jerusalem which would have been an easy thing to do you know on the passover it was a packed city but they couldn't because he had risen so it's historically credible and finally it's climactically desirable God is working out a plan. He says there's a day coming where he's going to intervene once again and there's not going to be any more evil. There's not going to be any more sorrow. There's not going to be any more broken hearts. There's not going to be any more disappointments. There's not going to be any more loneliness or hatred or inferiority complexes or insecurity or the horrible feelings of shame that some people live with or disease or crime or war. He's going to intervene again. He's allowing evil for a little while so that he can abolish it forever. He's working out a plan. And the ending is climactically desirable. It's beautiful. Righteousness and love and peace and health forever and ever and ever. The last writing of the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he was about to be beheaded by Nero. And he says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday, notice there's a chronological point in time there's a plan God's working out he knows the date we don't someday he'll judge the living and the dead when will this happen when he what when he comes it's talking about the second coming of Christ to set up his kingdom so this message we have it's climactically desirable life is not meaningless it doesn't end with the grave evil doesn't triumph in the end righteousness love kindness compassion health triumphs in the end so let me close by asking the question might there be a circle of influence some people in your life that you know are of a mind to have conversations about spiritual matters but you know they hold diverse spiritual points of view from what we know to be the truth of God's word and perhaps up to this point you have been very uncomfortable to have any sharing with them because you didn't want to injure the relationship but maybe now you think the spirit of God is urging you to maybe consider taking that step that might be some of you maybe some of you you want to do this you have that that circle you maybe have those friends they will have these spiritual conversations but you're like randy i want to do this but i just don't feel like i know enough okay what step might you take now today moving forward so that you would feel more equipped you would be better equipped I mean might it be that you're going to really get serious about getting a study Bible and studying or getting in a group or taking some of our classes or looking at some of our old Bible institutes or what, what might you do that would equip you better so that you would have the confidence to do what Paul did share controversial things with people hopefully in a non-confrontational way and, and then finally and this is important for some of you in here this could be the day that that you're Dionysius or Damaris remember the two names that were written it said some sneered some said hey man let's talk another time and then it says some became followers of Paul and believed and then it lists two names God loves individuals and he, he writes names down folks he writes names in heaven it says and I hope everybody in here you've had your day when your name was written down just like Dionysius and Damaris' name were written down in the book of God the day when you said you know I don't care what anybody else thinks I don't care who anyone else is following I am so convinced at the beauty and goodness of my God as revealed in Jesus I am putting my trust in Jesus today let everybody else follow whoever they want I'm following him and I'm going to follow him fully and I'm following him freely and I'm following him forever it could be that this is the day that it's your name, your Dionysius, your Damaris, your name 
is written in heaven. And I'm telling you, all of heaven is on bated breath. If you're in here today and you've never really trusted in Christ and become his follower, to see that happen. All of heaven is rooting for you. Jesus even said a party breaks out in heaven in Luke 15 when one person changes their mind about God. Maybe if you just humble your heart, you'd hear his voice speaking to you today. And your name, your name will forever be in his book, in his family, in his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, give us the boldness to seize these opportunities to inject the truth about you in life in these conversations in such a way that you'll be honored, heaven will be thrilled, people's lives will be changed, and we will be strengthened. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.